Meet Yelp for Restaurants. Not the software company, but the people who love restaurants so much they formed a team dedicated to our industry. Before Catherine joined the customer success team, she managed the modern in New York. Yeah, that modern. Before Julia joined the team, she worked at Oshaval in Chicago for half a decade. Yelp is for restaurants because our people are restaurant people. Meet the new Yelp at restaurants.yelp.com forward slash podcast. Now here we go. Oh, it's really not about showing everybody how much I know. It's more about me being really happy with the choices that I'm making on the food on the plate and editing well and really showing respect for the people who've grown the food, for the people that are preparing the food and for the people that are eating the food. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators, served up on the house. Celebrity chef David LeFevre is a damn good chef, and he's been applauded for that nationally. But the chef is also a prolific businessman who's dedicated his professional life to growing great restaurants that can pave the path for the next generation. In today's conversation, we unpack what it took to grow his restaurant group and how he's choosing to pay it forward. I've been really fortunate in my career. Number one, I've been fortunate to work with some incredible people and be surrounded in what I view as, at the time, some of the best culinary communities there were. And I think that without great people around you, it's hard to be great. Kind of from the beginning of my career, I recognized pretty quickly through my experience at Trotter's when I interviewed there that that was a special place. And I've had great mentorship at King's and I've had great mentorship with my partners if I had to state one person that really stood out in my career that kind of changed the path that I took, that would be Chef Trotter. And working at that restaurant was like climbing Mount Everest every day. And then you'd wake up the next day and you're back at base camp. So it was extremely challenging. But he set such a high bar that anybody who's worked there, I think, can attest to this, is that what you develop is a tenacious, relentless ability to be resourceful. And that's the one thing that I've noticed at that restaurant that has really affected my career every step along the way. And, you know, Tom and Mike and Chris Sims are incredible partners and I've had incredible chefs and people that have worked within our company and Matt Stein and then Adam Bassick at King Seafood. Kings were amazing for me, but I would have never been in any of those positions if I didn't understand just how far I could go to get something done. And, and I learned that at Trotters and I had some good motivation. I lost my parents the year before I started at Trotters and there was definitely some really good motivation to survive, but that arena gave me a look into a world that showed promise and showed opportunity and showed success and showed just a whole world that I didn't even know existed at the time. What kind of chef did you want to be? When you look back at those days and you say, I want to be like this person, I want to possess these qualities. What was the original intention? And then here we are 15 years later, 20 years later. How do you think you've done? <laughs> That's flattering to say 20 <laughs> <That> was... <laughs> years later. <laughs> oh, 
<laughs> well, I think everybody starts out wanting to be a cook. And in our company, every month we do a thing called Culture Day, where we bring all of our new crew members in. And Mike and I kind of explain our how, our what, our why, our philosophy. And, you know, I started cooking because I was hungry and I didn't want to wait for anyone to cook for me. But I got really hooked once I saw I could make people happy through food. In my life, I looked back and I thought, wow, you know, when I opened a post, I really thought, why do I want to be a chef? Why do I want to be an owner? Why do I want to own my own restaurant versus just be an executive chef for a director or whatnot. And, and what I found is throughout my life, the things that I really enjoyed were things that brought other people joy. And I played soccer in high school and I excelled. And that was one way to bring people joy by being a great soccer player and scoring goals. And I played classical music growing up from fourth grade until the middle of high school and for Wisconsin Youth Symphony Orchestra. And that was a way to bring joy to my parents. And it was a way to be special and I found humor was a way to bring joy through people. And really what cooking to me is, is it's a way to better the lives of the people around you. And so you start out wanting to be this cook and then you are exposed to the creative and the artistic side. And you're like, oh my God, you go to a place like Trotter's. And I mean, I remember when Charlie's first book came out, that maroon book, and you're like, oh my God, this is amazing. And I remember working there for my externship and people going back to school and people being like, they don't really do that food at the restaurant. And I was like, no, yeah, that's what they do. And so once I got into that atmosphere, it was all about honing my skills and just being really concentrating on fish butchery. And Matthias Murgis really gave me a great outlet for that. I mean, not many people learn how to butcher fish on whole hamachi from Japan. And then there came a point in my career where you're doing all this food work and you're running service and you kind of have to ask yourself what's next. And you know, it's not a secret formula. It's like, what did Thomas Keller and Danielle Balud and John George, what did they all do? And it's like, oh, they worked in Europe. They staged in Europe and they did it. So I was like, I got to go to Europe. And so I did that. And that was a game changer, just learning a language and living in another culture and having to really scrap your way from the bottom of the kitchens where no one really cares or wants you to be there to becoming a valuable resource in these two and three star Michelin restaurants. And so every kind of step of the way, who I wanted to be as a chef evolved. And then there kind of came this point when I left Trotters in 2002, I took a trip around the world and I did these pop, you know, they're called pop-ups now. Back then it was just called dinners, but I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do yet after Trotters. And I knew I wanted to travel and I knew I wanted to do some pop-ups with chefs and companies that I'd met throughout the years. And then I also wanted to continue to stage and trail at places that I really admired. And that gave me about two years to think about it and figure out what I wanted to do next. And what I slowly understood was if I was ever going to open up my own restaurant, I needed to work in a company that operated. I can run service and I could do ordering and we could do these dishes and quality, but I really had to learn some more leadership. I had to learn just daily operations, fiscal responsibility, you know, all the things that come with ownership. And I wanted to learn that before I owned my own place. So I looked to a couple mentors of mine. I looked to Mark Miller and Mark gave me some really good advice. He mentored me through the app interviewing process that I had with different companies. And it was a time when I was 31, 32, 
my other friends were coming out of Trotters and getting top 10 chefs food and wine and we're really being promoted and we're being creative. And I ended up going and working with this company where, yeah, you know, I could be creative and I could definitely got some acclaim, but it was really about me learning how to run a business, how to run the back of the house and how to be able to do that responsibly to a point where I thought I could run my own restaurant. And so it was a challenging time for me because a lot of my friends were doing really exciting, creative stuff. And I was kind of grinding away at learning how to run a business. And then what I realized when I was working at King's at Water Grill, which was a really, really positive experience for me. And I have nothing but wonderful things to say about Jeff King and Sam King and Matt Stein and Adam Bassick, the guys, and John Canis, the guys that really invested in me. But what I learned at that time was I wanted to own a restaurant and run a restaurant that my dishwashers could go to and that I didn't want it to be too elite. I think that before my parents passed away and I was looking into going to culinary school, they had just come back from Spain and they said, you know, the great thing about Spain is like, you can go and get a decent meal anywhere and you don't have to be wealthy to have that. And that really resonated with me. So I wanted to do something that was creative and I could apply technique, but that was approachable and that was soulful. And I got my Michelin star at Water Grill. And then like the next year, Chicago got it. And all my friends in Chicago were getting ready for their Michelin star. And I was like, all right, I didn't really have a party when I got mine. So I'm going to Chicago and I'm going to throw a party. For you guys. <laughs> You're going to go get your awards and I'm going to set up where we go to eat. And I'm going to set up where we go to drink and it's on me and let's go have some fun. I remember talking to all my buddies and it was, you know, it was Curtis Duffy and Giuseppe Tentori and Omar Cantu and Matthias Murgis. And it was just like such a great group of guys. And all of them wanted to go to places like Avec and Purple Pig and Girl and the Goat. And they were all these fun, casual, soulful places to eat. And it was that weekend where it really hit me where I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to do a place like that. That's the type of chef I want to be. I take food very seriously and I take product very seriously, but I don't take myself very seriously. And I just knew that from the life that I wanted, I thought that that type of restaurant was the way to go. And that was really the epiphany for me at that moment. And from that moment on, I've really focused on doing soulful, artisanal and handcrafted food. I'm not a molecular gastronomy chef. We don't have kitchens that have 10 to 15 people in them. We try to do simple, but not boring, soulful to create thoughtful, engaging service and memorable experiences. And so, you know, at one point in my career, I was like, I'm going to be the best chef in the world. And um, <laughs> I think I was really arrogant and I think I was really young and immature. And then there came a point where it was like, oh, it's really not about showing everybody how much I know. It's more about me being really happy with the choices that I'm making on the food on the plate and editing well and really showing respect for the people who've grown the food, for the people that are preparing the food and for the people that are eating the food. I believe that you were early to the game and that your perspective is now being adopted by so many other chefs and restaurateurs. I think that chefs by and large, especially in the 90s, early to mid 2000s, everybody was really focused about what was on the plate. But then I look at the businesses that you've created, MB Post, Fishing with Dynamite, Arthur J, and now Ryla. And I look at these businesses and I think these would be a pleasure to run. They all seem 
very manageable in terms of scope. The menus are, I'm sure, demanding for back of house, but it's certainly not that Trotter-esque trying to overcome the impossible on a daily basis. And I think it speaks not only to the markets that you reside in, but what most people want generally. Well, thanks. They are a pleasure to run. There's two different things here. You have food and then you have the business. And the older I get and the more connected I am with what I enjoy with food, I think of myself as more of kind of an editor than I am a writer. And maybe that's a strange analogy, but I think every great writer needs to have a great editor. There's been times when I've been the writer and the editor, like when we opened a post and I was working with Atsushi Takatsuki and I was working with Ray Hayashi and Jerry Garbus, and I was coming up with this food and they were coming up with dishes. And I think before post, I was really adamant of like trying to prove how much I knew and trying to prove my worth as a chef. And at some point at post through the process of opening and just kind of the affirmation of the choices I'm making were good ones and having the confidence of the guests praise set building up some self-confidence in myself as well. What becomes of the food is really like, it's not about what I need to add to the dish. It's what I need to take away. And there's chefs that I really admire who do that well. I think Steve Sampson at Rosa Blue is one of those chefs where everything on the plate needs to be there. Nothing that shouldn't be there is. There's not one thing on that plate that doesn't have purpose. That's how I feel when I look at our food. I'm like, what has to be there to provide the crunch, the texture, the flavor? When I'm working with the chefs that I have at the restaurant, my job with them sometimes is for creativity, but a lot of the time, my relationship with them as a mentor for them to be running their restaurants is to be an editor and to be able to say, I don't think that this paragraph really is necessary. I think that chai blossom, if it adds a flavor you really want, then great. And so then you apply that to your business and then you have to say, okay, well, we have to do food like that, that each restaurant has a standard for how long the food needs to be picked up in, how big the kitchen can be, how many crew members we need to have. And there's a purpose and a plan for everything there. And so you can have a great soulful dish that tastes amazing and just has the right amount of ingredients and amount of simple, but not boring and interesting and flavorful, but it could be a 12 minute, 14 minute pickup. And that just doesn't follow the structure that we have at post. And so we have to say, okay, or it might be a three pan pickup where you have scallops in one pan and bok choy in another pan. And then you've got Chinese sausage in another pan. And you're like, okay, we can't do a three pan pickup. Somehow we have to use the plancha or the grill. And then we have to have purees ready to go. So we've been thoughtful about kind of creating these dishes around these standards of pickup to match a business plan. And I think that that's where we've done a good job with that. My partners, Mike and Chris and Tom have been very supportive and insightful for us to be successful there. And we find that when we stray from those original goals and that original kind of conceptual ideas are when operations start to get sticky and where things start to get muddled and you can have a new chef and all of a sudden eight months down the line, like, wow, all the food's gotten smaller. Maybe the value isn't there that it used to be. And why are the pickup times taking 10 to 12 minutes now? The table turns are taking 15 minutes longer and the reviews we're getting on our value is less. The dominoes start to fall. 
it's much harder to get the domino standing back up than it is to have them fall. And so we make a pretty concerted effort to make sure we're sticking to those concepts as we go, but not letting progress or change or technology or what the guest wants get in the way. I mean, really, look, find out what the guest wants and give it to them. That's business. So I feel like no matter what the restaurant we do, we have this formula that we follow at the beginning in terms of the food and the service and and the pickup times and, and the core and the design. But within those parameters, there's fluidity and there's ability to be different. And what our goal is, is to have the restaurants within our group to be all be different. But when someone walks into it to feel like this is part of that group. And I feel we've done a pretty good job of that. Now with Ryla and Chef Ray Hayashi as a new partner, and it's got to be probably the proudest moment in my career is we're doing that now, even with someone that's completely in charge of the culinary at that restaurant. And so when we opened up Post, and I remember the exact moment and day at Post where I looked out at the dining room and I let out a sigh and my shoulders kind of fell and I thought to myself, I'm like, okay, we're going to be okay. And it was the fifth brunch service that we had in January of the first year. And I also remember just an immense amount of gratitude that I had for my partners for helping me get there and providing a platform for me to grow as an owner and grow as a chef. And I just remembered at that moment, I was like, man, if I could help do that for someone else, that could be considered a life's work for me. So for that to be able to come to fruition with Ray, I have so much admiration and so much respect for. It's a really proud moment for us as a company, as our partnership. It's a really proud moment for me as just an individual who's the why that I do it in our company with our company is to better the lives of people around us. And when you provide a chef an opportunity to be an owner and hopefully provide them the support that they want and need to be successful. That's a big one for me. Prior to the pandemic, I could barely use my iPhone. I'm a restaurateur, not a tech guru. But over the last two years, we've seen that tech can play a vital role in helping us make more money and save money. And that tech can show up at some pretty unlikely places, like your kitchen sink. Dawn Professional is a detergent and degreaser that can help reduce your labor expense and your overhead on cleaning supplies through leveraging the latest technological innovation in cleaning products. Dawn Professional Multi-Service Heavy Duty Degreaser is specifically formulated to cut grease two times faster versus the leading food service degreasers. While Dawn Professional Manual Pot and Pan Dish Detergent cleans 58% more pots and pans per sink, reducing sink changeover versus the leading competitor's professional dish soap. Save time and money by upgrading to Dawn Professional Manual Pot and Pan Dish Detergent and Dawn Professional Multi-Service Heavy-Duty Degreaser from PNG Professional. Ryla is your first opening post-pandemic. I'm sure that this was a restaurant that was conceptualized prior to, right? And so yeah. I'm wondering, did the pandemic change any of the fundamental dynamics of how that restaurant operates? <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> look, Ray, ben, ben, Ray and I had, it's an amazing story. I would love to, you know, if Ray and I could tell it to you together, he wouldn't probably say much about it because he's so humble. But he started as a line cook at Post, worked his way up to sous chef. I asked him to be the CDC at Fishing with Dynamite. He said, no, I'm not ready. 
I said, okay, well, hey, sit in on the interviews that I have with the potential CDCs for the new restaurant and let me know if you're still not ready. And we went through four or five interviews and he's like, okay, I think I'm ready. And uh, <laughs> we opened up fishing. You did an amazing job. We opened it up together, had a really great partnership with that. And so about two years later, I said, hey, look, here's the deal. What do you want in life? He said, I want to own my own restaurant. I said, okay, if you want to own your own restaurant, here's what I think we should do. And I worked with Adam, our VP of operations, Adam Bassick. I said, let's work together and let's get you through front of the house training. Because if you're going to own your own restaurant, you got to know what it's like to be a GM. You're going to have GMs reporting to you. So we did that and trained him. And he became the GM at Fishing with Dynamite and did that. And finally, I was like, all right, here's the deal. Now let's build a business plan. We're going to put a concept together and work with vision boards and inspiration boards. And we did that. And I said, okay, well, you're going to have to present this to the partners. And so we set up a meeting in February and he presented his menu and the inspiration boards and the business plan. I mean, everything that we had in any of our business plans, he did, he presented it. And we all said, this is awesome. This sounds great. We went out and we had dinner and three weeks later, COVID hit. And so three weeks before COVID, we're going to look for a space and COVID hit. Look, everybody's got their own experience with COVID. And mine was, you want to talk about the highlight and the low life of your career, you know, handing out furlough checks and giving out produce and mise en place from the cooler to your team to help out any way you can was probably the low point of my career. But the good thing that happened to us during COVID and when I talk about this, I don't want it to come off as what we did was so awesome, but I'm kind of in awe of the direction that Tom Sims, our partner, Tom's had over a hundred restaurants and he's been doing it since the early seventies. And he's one of those people you meet in your life. And every moment you walk away from a conversation, you take a nugget with you for the rest of your life. Once COVID hit, we were doing daily meetings with our partners and talking about what's going on and my one partner, Chris, has over 30 restaurants throughout the United States. Mike, my partner, he had five restaurants at the time. We were talking about what was going on and trying to kind of predict a plan. It was just, let's come up with a plan. And no matter what the government's going to do to us, let's have a plan and let's be prepared to adjust as we go. And pretty quickly, we came to a plan of, look, this is going to probably last through quarter two of next year. So we thought this is going to be a year and a quarter. And everybody around us was like, it's going to be a couple months. And when we came up with that, I wasn't comfortable. <laughs> I'm I was sure. like, this is going to last a year and a half. Pardon my French, but what the fuck is going on? Oh, I mean, that's yeah. crazy, right? That's and, but once we had that and we were like, okay, that's what's going to do. So what do we need to do, right? And we figured out what we needed to do. And then about eight weeks in, early May, I think it was, we were on our call and Tom, we were talking about what was going on and the changes we had to make. And we had had Arthur J stayed open to do to go business. And I was like, okay, tomorrow we have to do $500 more so we can bring one more crew member back. And then the next day was like, all right, tomorrow we have to do $500 more sales to bring one more crew member back. And we just kept doing it. Sometimes you got to take a marathon step-by-step step, and that's what it felt like. I mean, I remember being one night in Arthur J where we were like, it was like 945 we were $145 short of our goal and we had hit our goal for five days in a row and it would have just sucked if we didn't hit it. And I got the team together and I had this totally hippie 
you know, my mother would have been so proud. I was like, I want everybody <laughs> in this room just focusing on one more order. We need one more order and one more order to hit our goal. And like literally three minutes later, we got an order for like $220. And the team was like, ah, we can bring another crew member back tomorrow. So like eight weeks in, we were getting ready to open up post because now Arthur J was back up and I could split the management team into two and we could start doing to go food at there. And so we were on this meeting and Tom said, we really have some momentum and the Arthur, I mean, Arthur J was doing, it was like 50 to 70 K and to go. It's crazy. And we did more sales and father's day to go than we did in the restaurant the year before with dining, you it's know, crazy. well, if you think about it, I remember the moment when I said, you know, the crazy part about to go, I was like, we don't have to turn one table. Yeah. We can do 7,000 covers if we want to. And so we were talking about it and Tom said, we're in a good spot, we're getting momentum. We really need to start thinking about what we need to do in the next six to nine months to figure out how we're going to come out of this better than we came in. And how we're going to come out of this, taking advantage of the opportunities that are going to be available. And that wasn't in a way, take advantage of people. It was, we knew that we were in a special arena, in a special area that was going to support us. I mean, we had people coming in just saying, hey, I'm going to buy $5,000 in gift cards. Jimmy Kimmel came in and did just that. He's like, hey, I'm going to come by. I want to buy a bunch of gift cards. So we knew that we were going to be able to survive it somehow. We might have to lose a restaurant or we definitely knew that we were going to have a different team at the end of it. And we also knew that there were going to be some opportunities coming up because of there were going to be businesses that weren't going to be able to survive. And our success isn't based off of somebody else's failure. I don't think that way. I come from a place of abundance always. There's enough room yeah. for everyone to be successful. But we also knew that there were going to be some opportunities not to have to pay key money. We weren't going to have to buy out leases in order to get a space and get our restaurants. So we wanted to be prepared for that. And so we revisited with Ray and talked about the concept and we said, okay, we're going to start looking because we want to make sure that when we come out of this, that we're in a position of strength. And so we did, we started finding leases and some of them were great and some of them weren't. And some of them needed us to start next week. But we ended up finding a really great lease at Ryla. We've had a pretty good development plan in place for our managers in order to build bench strength. And we had an AGM at Arthur J that had, he had fulfilled his GM training and he was sitting in the wings ready to go. And we had a sous chef that worked with us at Post and Fishing with Dynamite that finished his roadmap. And our roadmap is our development plan for managers. And he was ready to go. And we had Cynthia Hetlinger who was a sous chef at Providence and used to be a line cook with us and a supervisor with us. And she was ready to go. And so we had a team ready and we found a great lease and we found a great space. And it took a while. So we started in June of last year and really a renovation that would have taken us six weeks to do took us four months. And, you know, we say six weeks, people are probably like six weeks is crazy, right? But the space we had had really great bones. It had great HVAC and it had great plumbing and it had a great bar and good refrigeration. And there was a lot there already. A lot of the work we had to do was booth work and table work and 
and we only had two soffits to build. And so there wasn't a lot that we had to do. And I mean, post took us three months to renovate and that was huge. Ryla took us four months to renovate and it was probably the best equipped space to do a fast renovation with, but just with the supply demands and everything like that, it took a long time, but Hey, you know what? We opened on Valentine's day. We had to go through Omicron during hiring. We had to delay opening twice because of equipment that was off the coast of Long Beach and tiles that, you know, things that just didn't work out. But look at March. I mean, February and March were like the gear ups of people coming out of COVID. So we couldn't, I mean, it's like we knock on wood, but what great timing to come out of this, to have people excited to dine and you know, we decided to open up in Hermosa Beach. So that was exciting too for us because we're getting kicked out of the nest and going south. But, you know, we also did the renovate. We did a renovation and an expansion at post during COVID. And that was extremely difficult. So we learned a lot through that. That remodel took us 12 months. So we learned a lot through that remodel to apply to Ryla. And now we've got an expansion been a remodel at the Arthur J for a private dining room. So we've even learned even more through that. There's a lot we've learned through the process that is changing how we do it, but we still have our same opening restaurant checklists and we still have our culture that we hold near and dear to our heart. You know, the big thing through COVID for us was you have to accept the things you can't control. Like there's going to be some quality issues. There's going to be some service issues because you're going to have people issues. So we knew that that was going to happen. And as hard as it is to understand you're going to make service and food errors, it happens. And that's how your managers learn to fix them. And that's how they learn to deal with guests and develop those relationships. But the one thing that we couldn't lose through that was our culture. The one thing that we couldn't lose through COVID was I don't care how bad it is out there. We're not going to stop caring. We're not going to stop being respectful. We're not going to stop being humble. We're not going to stop having integrity. We're not going to take shortcuts because of COVID. And post fishing and Arthur J were paid off. That allowed us a position to have resources to apply during COVID. But that still didn't mean we were responsible with those resources. And we had to make some hard decisions early on to make sure that we could have those resources later. You find a lot of businesses that are like, oh, I need a manager, but I don't have the time to train them the way we normally do. So we just got to get them in and run the restaurant. Or you've got crew members, such high crew member turnover where you're like, gosh, I got new servers and I can't put them through the training that we normally do. And we just made a commitment to making sure that we didn't take those steps because those are some of the most important steps that have gotten us where we were. So in order to do that, we've had to do other things. I've had to do some stuff that I hadn't done in a while. And I had to have and be available for a lot of conversations with the crew that were confused. And we had to delay opening back up at times. And we're closed on Mondays and Tuesdays right now. We're going to reopen in May, but we've delayed that because we want to do it well. And I want to get my directors and my GMs and my sous chefs and my AGMs through the eight-week training process that we have. And so COVID has been terrible and it's been insightful and it's been a great teacher. But what I've really learned through it is like, 
you're going to have to make a lot of choices whenever you're up against adversity or whenever you're up against difficulties. We just can't let our culture fall through that. You can't stop doing what's right because it's the right thing to do. You can't stop treating people with dignity and decency just because you're scared and afraid of what's going to come. You can't stop being self-reflective and humble because even though you have to be firm and direct. And so that culture aspect, I think one thing I walk away with is, like I told you, the greatest thing I learned at Trotters was this resourcefulness, right? And I think the greatest thing that I've learned through COVID is the importance of our culture. And I'm so glad that we stayed committed to that through it because the people that we do have that are still with us are extremely grateful and thankful that we stayed through it and we made it through it. And I even think the people that have decided to leave still understand and respect the choices and how we had to do it because they look back and they're like, all three restaurants are back open like they promised and they've opened a new one. And I think we've not only done that with a good business plan, but we've done that while treating people the way that we are proud of. That's Chef David LeFevre. For more on his restaurant group, go to eatsims.com. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Kopel. You've been listening to Full Comp.